Welcome to Practice DNA, the podcast that teaches you how to set up, build, and run your own practice. Sponsored by Icon Practice Practice Management Software, get anywhere access to your system while saving thousands in upfront costs. Visit iconpractice.com now. I've got on the call today uh, Wayne Todd, who is a chiropractor who practices in sale. Um, he's a neurology diplomate as well as a regular chiropractor, and so uh, has quite a bit of experience in in variety of different practice styles. Um, in addition to running his main practice, he also runs a uh, number of clinics spread around Australia. And as such, we're very lucky to have him here today um, to share his expertise and his knowledge in, in getting started in practice and, and building things up. So welcome to the call, Wayne. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Matthew. And thank you for the invite. I'm happy to uh, share as much information as I can that may help uh, anyone else benefit on the, the journey through life. Uh, that's excellent. Thank you. Just starting off then, would you mind telling me a little bit about your background? What I suppose, first of all, what got you into the profession in the first place? Oh, I think I was about seven or eight years of age when I uh, was taken to a chiropractor in New Zealand by my father and I woke up with a wry neck or a torticollis and um, got adjusted by a chiropractor then and uh, got up off the table and I could move my neck again when I couldn't when I lay on the table. So I thought that was pretty cool. So that was a light bulb moment for me that... Uh, I want to be able to do that for people when I grow up. <laughs> so uh, right from a, a young age, that was all I ever wanted to do. So I didn't have any other um, aspirations or, or goals in any other direction other than purely focused on being a chiropractor. And how did it pan out for you then? You obviously went through high school and studied the necessary subjects, but did you study in Australia or were you go overseas? Or? Yeah, no, I uh, completed my... Uh, secondary high school uh, training in New Zealand and left straight from the final year of high school, came to Melbourne, Australia and completed five years of undergraduate study at RMIT in Melbourne. And did you kind of jump straight into running your own practice or did you uh, work for somebody else for a while? Or No, well in actual fact I was in my second last year of uh, university, so I was in fourth year and um, a practice became available for sale in my wife's hometown in Sale and uh, Gippsland, Victoria. And so I said to the, the practitioner, I want to buy your practice, but I can't work it for 18 months. And uh, he wanted to sell it straight away. And, uh, but anyhow, after a few months of discussing with him, uh, he decided he would hold on. And uh, so, yes, I took over that practice um, right from, from day one, as soon as I graduated. And uh, what sort of, what's your current setup? I know that you uh, have a couple of clinics uh, in the Latrobe Valley and East Gippsland area. Is that, that still the case? We've got uh, nine practices now in Gippsland and we have 13 practices in Queensland. Uh, so our, our main uh, practice in sale, we have, we've just put an extension onto that practice and we have um, 19 consulting rooms in that practice now where we run uh, quite a large multidisciplinary um, healthcare centre. So we have chiropractors, podiatrists, massage therapists, psychologists, uh, acupuncturists working within that, that facility. Has it been uh, a challenge sort of integrating all those therapies together? Uh, look, I, I, it's, it's just a fantastic setup to have uh, multiple professions working under the one roof. When you have a, a patient that you're working with and you identify there's a need for them to seek other another professional advice, um, we can walk down the hallway, tap on someone's door and say, would you mind just having a quick look at this? Do you think you can help with that? And uh, those practitioners will, will gladly do that and patients are very, very happy to have 
getting a, a second opinion all on, on the spot and then they know that they can have care by that practitioner under the one roof. And mm. practitioners certainly liaise backwards and forwards. There's not a day goes by where I don't have a massage therapist or another practitioner or a psychologist um, sending me an internal note saying, can I have a quick chat about this person and what do I need to do here and what's going on there with that person and their lifestyle factors and other stressors that may be compounding or impacting on their, their total health um, goals. So it's, it's really uh, a, a great setup to have those multiple professions under the one roof working together for the patient's best outcome. Yes, I think that's really the key, isn't it? That you're working together, and you know, there's none of the professional bias and and so forth. Whether you're all just there for the patient's benefit. That's it. All there for the patient's benefit, trying to get that that good end result and working together. It just the patients um, get, you know, maximum benefit out of that. And if they've got issues or problems, I'm not sure. Should I have another visit? Am I doing what's going on? Or um, do you think I should have had that reaction? Or I'm feeling fantastic. Should I have another massage? And so you've got that liaising backwards and forwards um, with those other practitioners and to get the best outcome for those people. What's the, the biggest uh, challenge that you guys face in terms of actually building your practices generally? Is there, what sort of things maybe are you doing for your marketing that are working particularly well for you or not and, and so forth? Um, look, I, I think in, in regional uh, settings, word of mouth is the best advertising that you can have in a practice and that's certainly what we've worked on. We do very li limited or little external marketing of the practice and practices grow very quickly with um, word of mouth. Um, and really what we try and focus on with practitioners is to is to is for them to do the absolute best they can for each of their patients and uh, follow up make phone calls, call patients after their first visit, see how they're going, see what what their needs are. When you have a patient who um, you know presents and they, they mention, oh, yes, I've been dizzy lately, um, you actually take that as a cue and follow up and work out what's going on with that individual and work out whether your care is most appropriate for them or whether they need to be referred out for further investigation or have care by somebody else. But you become, as a practitioner, that central point of call for those patients so that you become the go-to practitioner in the town because you get stuff sorted out for those people. You don't say, oh, I'm not sure what's going on, you better go and see someone else. You actually follow up, follow through and sort out a plan of attack for that patient. So then you become the go-to practitioner in your region where people refer in multiple other family and friends because they know they're going to get their issues sorted out and put them on the right path to health. Yes, in many respects almost you become the, the primary care practitioner for them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yes. The majority of the patients that I see that I've been adjusting for nearly 30 years once they start with care, they maintain ongoing wellness or preventative care and you become their, their go-to practitioner. Um, they always come and ask you, what should I do here? What's going on here? And very very often the problem is totally out of um, my own individual scope of practice, but I contact specialists. I phone neurosurgeons, I phone orthopaedic surgeons, I talk to oncologists and we actually get problems sorted out for people. In fact, you know, just uh, yesterday I had a, a patient present um, with uh, chronic severe lower back pain. He's also on chemotherapy um, for bowel cancer that he had. This guy's only uh, at 40, 41 and uh, when reviewing all his imaging and scans that it had done, um, he had 
a lytic lesion in his L3 vertebral body, uh, which was pick, picked up on a, on a scan back in February of this year, and it had expanded and got bigger since November, a scan previously in November, but no one had actually followed that up because the recommendation was that he had further PET scans and MRIs of that region, but the oncologist had primarily been treating him for his bowel cancer and had not actually addressed that. So when I phoned and spoke to the oncologist, um, it was a bit of an awkward situation because I didn't want to tell the oncologist how to suck. <laughs> yes. But I said, look, this was identified, this is what's going on. And he said, oh, he said, I'm terribly sorry. I've obviously missed that. I will admit the patient tomorrow, we'll get all of these scans done, we'll admit him for a couple of days, we'll get his pain under control because his pain was 9 out of 10. But I actually identified that, hey, this is out of my scope, but I actually went that next step, got the oncologist on the phone and got the guy admitted to hospital to have the process um, completed. So um, that's what just an example of what you've got to do, I think, as a practitioner. Not so, or I'm not sure, send them back to their GP. Who would get that organised, but it might take some time for that to occur. Mm. Yes, and it's, I, I don't know, Matt, I'm sure you would probably agree that when you're in private practice, um, it's very gratifying to be accepted as a member of the healthcare team in that way and to take that responsibility on. Um, and as you say, it, it works wonders for, for building your practice and provides wonderful patient care in the process. And, you know, it's, it's not done with ever any intent of building a practice. That just happens by default. Absolutely. Um, you're doing it with the intent just because you actually care and you treat every member of the, the public that you see as one of your family members. What would you want to have done for this person if they were your family member? And I think if that's the intent that practitioners have, that they're dealing with everyone as if they were their mother, father, brother or sister. It sounds a bit cliche, but that's really how it has to be. And uh, what would you do? How would you follow up? What imaging would you get done? Where would you send them? What needs to occur? Um, if you treat everyone like that, then... You know, the majority of patients that I see when I walk in the room, they give me a hug. Right. Nice cool. to see you. And it's like because they're all part of the family. Yes, yes, I, I know what you mean. So, so that's the marketing that occurs. Okay, <laughs> that's great. In terms of the um, within your practice, do you have a fairly systematized practice or do you just kind of go with the flow? I know a, a lot of um, quite large practices, particularly when they get bigger, they start to realise that they have to get very clear systems in place. Um, have you done that in your practice? And if so, how have you avoided um, letting the systems kill the spontaneity that are part of a vibrant practice? Oh, look, we have certainly we have systems that are from an administrative perspective, a front desk perspective, a booking perspective, of appointments, you know, SMS reminders for patients to make sure that that appointment book flows. Um, you know, that, that certainly is systematised. Uh, we have, um, you know, systems of when a, a patient is assessed, how they're thoroughly assessed, um, and there's no two people, no two patients the same. So you can't systematise an examination. An examination needs to be clear and concise um, and make sure that you're covering all bases and being responsible as a practitioner. But there's certainly no set pan examination where we do 148 orthopedic and neurological tests and we've got to work out how many positive out of all of that. There's none of, none of that takes place in our practice. It's we do whatever's appropriate for the patient at that time and their schedule of care is um, set and recommended based upon their findings and um, that then is, is something that we transfer that information to the person of what is best to suited to that individual. So there's no set 
uh, rote scheduling of care for um, everyone gets the same thing. Not at all. It's not done that way. It's done based purely on an individual basis and to get the best outcome for those people as if they were one of your family members. Yeah, yeah that's a, a very good way to run it, I think. Yeah, so in terms of um, new graduates coming into the profession, do you feel that, or what, what would you feel are the biggest challenges that are going to face a new chiropractor coming in, into practice, in fact? Uh, the biggest challenge I would see as a, as a new practitioner who's just finished at university and is in student mode is actually, um, excuse the expression, having the balls to tell a patient what they need. Yeah. Having the balls to actually stand up and say, this is what you've got going on. You need to have this type of treatment that I'm going to suggest and you'd need to get adjusted this many times over a period of time to make any significant impact on the pattern that has been established within your body if we're going to get that to change. And tell people straight up front, you need to actually give people what they need and actually lay it out like it's a menu at a restaurant. Yeah. So we have, you know, this initial intensive phase, which is like the entree. It might get you out of a little bit of pain and discomfort and help a, a bit, but if we're really going to make some structural change to change the stability and functionality of your spine, you need to have the main course. Yes. And then if you want to look after it for the rest of your life, because you've got issues that we can't fix, we can't wave a magic wand, you've got severe discogenic spondylosis or degenerative change in an area that is going to be a weak link in your body, but we can help look after that and try and maintain at least as best function as possible. And on an ongoing basis, you would need to have that looked after preventatively. So that's dessert. So... That all needs the menu needs to be laid out on the table at the start, and then you need to be very upfront and say you might just want entree, or you might want the main course, and also you might want dessert, rather than see them for one visit and say I will see you at the end of the week, we'll see you next week, and and tell them what they need on a visit by visit basis. Patients get very annoyed at that, and they don't think they they don't know when is this going to end, what's the how long is this going to take, they don't have any idea. So you need to actually give them that explanation right at the start lay the whole menu out, it's up to you. I don't care what you do, but it's my responsibility and obligation an optimal suggested care plan would be for you. Yes. It's really, uh, that's my experience, that uh, communication is, is often an area where new chiropractors really fall down and the confidence in making those recommendations, and uh, I think you've summarised it beautifully. That would be the biggest pitfall of a new practitioner, of not actually telling people what they need not ballsing up and telling them exactly what they need um, and then the patient doesn't get the care they need, they don't get the results they need and they think whatever care they've had hasn't worked but they just haven't had appropriate care because it hasn't been spelt out initially enough. Yep, absolutely. Do you, uh, what do you feel are, say, some of the challenges these days that are perhaps facing older chiropractors in practice, somebody who might have been in practice for 20 or 30 years and you know, has been in the profession for quite some time, do you see any particular challenges for those groups of practitioners? Uh, certainly, certainly, Matthew, I see uh, practitioners who have been in practice for a long period of time, getting some getting stale and burnt out. Uh, that may be because they're doing the same thing in practice they've done for 30 years. They haven't learnt uh, new techniques or gone to conferences to update them on current research and information and how to make what they do every day in practice exciting. Um, Every, every time I walk into a room with a patient, I see it as like a Christmas present. 
So I've got to open up this present and see what's going on and work out what, what the issues are for that individual and work out the best plan of attack on every given visit. Um, and, and I think you need to have that passion and excitement and then practice just as fun every day. Um, and, and certainly that's, that's something um, that, that buzzes me. I've just finished uh, writing a book um, called The SD Protocol, uh, which is on integrating the physical, chemical and emotional balance of an individual at a neurological level. And it's written for the layperson. Um, and we're finding putting that work into place in practice is just amazing. Turns turns lives um, and it helps you address and identify what the main um, area of concern is for that individual and have a huge impact on, on turning them around. Absolutely. I think that uh, multifaceted practice uh, does become much more rewarding and I think what you've highlighted there is a is a big challenge, particularly if you've been in practice for a while. I know you sort of mentioned earlier that uh, obviously word of mouth in the a rural area is is a, a bigger factor. Has the internet though changed the way that you run your practice? I know in particular there's a lot of these review sites out there that are, enable patients to either praise you or, or vent their spleen. Um, and have you found that they've impacted on your practice at all? And if so, do you have any strategies in place for for managing those types of things? Uh, no, to the above, I have no idea about any of those right. <laughs> no. sites. I've not seen any fours against nothing not on any site. So I know our, our websites um, certainly attract an, a number of um, attention from um, uh, people around the community. People book appointments online and um, send requests and information and uh, we have an active uh, Facebook site on our, and with our, our group of practices where people get updated information and newsletters and recipes and information off that. Um, so yeah, we use it as sort of a community sharing board um, but haven't seen any um, <coughs> negative feedback anywhere really. Um, we certainly get uh, praise, um, uh, yeah. So. Excellent. No, no yes. to the, no to the <laughs> Yeah. No, that's all right. That was going to be my next question is uh, are you sort of utilising platforms like Facebook and your website to engage with the community and by the sound of it you are? Yes. Um, and do you have a specific strategy in place or do you have a team member that kind of manages that or how do you work it? Yeah, you know, we have a, a team member who manages that, who creates newsletters. Mm -hmm. Yes, excellent. Good. Well, that's, we've kind of wound up most of the questions that I was going to ask. There is uh, one last question, though, um, and I think you may have possibly covered this earlier, but if you had one gem of advice for a chiropractor who was wanting to build their practice today, um, what would it be? Never stop learning. Right. That's Never it. stop learning. You have a patient who comes in and they say, I have XYZ syndrome. If you have no bloody idea what that is, you better make sure the next visit you see that patient, you know more about it than they do. Mm. If you actually learn about that individual situation, you help that person sort that issue out, you better make sure you commit that to memory so you're aware of that for the next first time you see someone with something like, like that going on. But never, ever stop learning and never dismiss something that a patient might say um, that you don't know what it is, but you then don't follow it up. You've got to make sure you everything up and that's your path of learning every day. There's not a day goes by where I don't learn something new from patients. 
Excellent. Yes, I think that that's actually a really good advice and that will keep your passion going, will keep your engagement going, which will then in turn build your practice because people will want to come. Because when you when that person comes back in and I've had this condition or syndrome or problem for 10 years and then the next time you see them you go, hey, have you thought about doing this or trying that because we can help this? And they go, oh, my goodness, this person actually gives a damn. Mm. They, they care. For the, and you'll have patients say, for the first time, someone's actually bothered to actually care to find out more about this. So, you know, that, that's all you need to do is care, but you've got, to, you've got to do that by actually doing. Yes, yeah, as opposed to just sitting there and staring or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes, yes, I don't, that would be. Yeah, that would be my my work, my pearl of wisdom. I I would would suggest. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure our listeners do too. Uh, you've shared some great gems of information there. Um, and uh, is there any parting words you'd like to to finish with? No, other than um, this process that we're on, or this path that we're on in life, is not a dress rehearsal for the real thing. Yes. It is the real thing every day. So don't pass any opportunities up. That's excellent advice. I'd uh, doubly second that for sure. Mm. Good. Yeah, so thank you very much for your time today, Wayne. Uh, I really appreciate that. You're more than welcome, Matthew. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit practicedna.com and sign up to receive full transcripts of the episodes as well as other special subscriber-only resources. Thank you.